curious, by, uh, maybe by a show of hands, how many of you are familiar with this name? John Logie Baird. Anybody familiar with the name John Logie Baird? Yep, that's kind of what I thought. Now, when I looked it up, I thought maybe like Yogi Berra, baseball player. Nope, not him. I, I thought maybe it was like the guy who Yogi Bear was named after. Nope, not him. John Logie Baird is the person who created the technology that goes into the television. That, that, okay, so, so the, the, that fine, stunning 4K picture that hangs up on your wall, and some of you figured out how to hide the cords. I haven't figured that out yet. That, that thing up there that you are able to enjoy, that, that screen and that technology and all the glory that comes with it because of a man named John Logie Baird who none of us really know. What about this name? Raise your hand if you know this one. What about the name Kim Kardashian? Who knows the name Kim Kardashian? Hands are up in shame all over this place, and everyone's like, I'm not even going to raise my hand. I don't want to act like I know who that is, but we all know that you know who that is. Think about this. She is famous because of technology that was created by John Logie Baird. We are familiar with her. She's made a lot of money because of his technology. We remember her. We don't know who he is. What about this name? What about this name? Chester A. Arthur. Who's familiar with Chester A. Arthur? Maybe a few of you. That was the 21st president of the United States. The 21st president of the United States. Here's what that means. There was a period of time where in the country of this one, America, that he was the most famous human being 200 years ago. And here's the thing. We've only had 44 or 45 presidents, depending on what you want to do with Grover Cleveland. That was one, too. And, and still, in this room, we're like, Chester A. Arthur, is that like a chicken? Like, you just don't know who it is. And so we look at that, and we kind of start thinking about these types of things, and, and it's like, that just that doesn't really add up when you think about it. And if you really start thinking about this pursuit of success, this pursuit of worth, you start thinking about things like John Logie Bear, Chester A. Arthur, Kim Kardashian, and you, you actually can get kind of frustrated because it doesn't make sense and it doesn't add up. And that's what is happening where we are in Ecclesiastes. They've got the author who we believe is Solomon, who's looking at life and he's asking the question, what's life? What's the point? What should I do? And, and here he, he, he looks at, really he spends the next few verses looking at success and what he finds is something that is very frustrating. Let's dive in here in chapter 2, verse 12. He says this, he says, So, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man who come, what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has been already done. Then I saw that there's more to gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more to gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head 
but the fool walks about in darkness. So he's looking at how people attain success. He's looking at how people achieve what they want. And he's realizing that in order to do that, it's going to take wisdom. But if there are places that you want to go, if there are goals that you have, if there are dreams that you would like to see fulfilled, that you're going to be far more likely to get there by being wise than by being, than by being foolish. Now, what I find so interesting about this text is Solomon says, I turn to consider wisdom. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, Solomon has already looked at wisdom. In his pursuit of what is life all about, what's the reason for living, he's already looked at wisdom and he's found that it's not a good thing to pursue on on its own. And and isn't that what we do, though, in our pursuit of meaning? We we, we search out something, we we realize that it doesn't work, so we move on to something else, and, and instead of instead of maybe looking beyond the sun like what Solomon would advocate for us to do, we, we look back at things that we already found not to be fulfilling. Maybe for some of you, you think, yeah, it's work. You pursue work like it's the only thing that matters. And you've chased it, and you find it leaves you empty, and then you, you, you try to move on to something else, and you're like, maybe the problem isn't, isn't work, but it was the job. So you try to find, you go back to work looking to find fulfillment when really it was never made for that. Maybe for some of you it's pleasure. And you think, oh, this, this will meet my desires. This will meet my needs. And then you find that it doesn't, that it wasn't able to quench that. And so you move on, and then you think, maybe it was because I was doing it wrong, so I'm going to go back and try again. For some people, we do it in relationships. We pursue meaning in relationships, and then we discover that it wasn't what we thought it would be, and so we blame it on the person when maybe it's just that we need to pursue meaning somewhere else. This is what Solomon is doing with wisdom. And and we don't just do this in our pursuit of, of finding meaning. This is something we do all the time. We learn something, but it takes us a lot of failure before we stop doing that thing that we've learned. It doesn't work. This is me and coffee after 6 p.m. I'll just be sitting at home, and I'm thinking, man, a cup of coffee sounds pretty good. There are people over. I know they've made decaf coffee, but why would you want to do that? And, and so, so, then I, so then I drink the coffee, and I there I am in my bed at 11.30, realizing that i got to get up, thinking, you know what, it wasn't worth it. I'm never going to do that again until the next time. It's 6 o'clock at night. There are people over, and I'm like, you know what sounds good? Coffee. Like, we keep going back. There's a proverb that says, as a, fool, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to their folly. Like, there's just something about us where we struggle to learn from our mistakes. And here's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, when I went back to look at wisdom a second time, though, I compared it to being a fool. And here's what I learned. It's better to be wise than to be a fool. And when he says fool, he's not just talking about someone who misunderstands. He's not just talking about someone who doesn't have all the information. No, that when, when the Bible talks about a fool, it's talking about someone 
who knows what God wants them to do and chooses to do the opposite. But when the Bible talks about a fool, it's talking about a person who actually probably knows the right, best thing for them to do, but instead they choose to do the opposite. And if you were to do a study on name-calling in the Bible, what you would find is that there are few names that you don't want to be called that are as strong as being called a fool in the scriptures. That's not what you want to be referred to as. So Solomon's like, well, I can tell you this. Wisdom isn't a place where you can find meaning. But probably it'd be better to be wise than to be a fool. And the reason why you see that in verse 14, where he says that, that the wise, they have eyes in their heads. But a fool walks around in darkness. That, that when you're wise, whether you know God or not, you're, you're going to be able to see things other people can't see. You're going to be able to interpret things other people can't interpret. You're, where other people are going to be stumbling and falling over themselves, that, that a wise person is able to, to learn. That a wise person is able to correct their course. Now, now, really, with what we've read in Ecclesiastes so far, this actually sounds pretty positive, right? Like, this is like a ray of light in the book. Maybe Solomon has changed his tune, and now he's happy. No, he's not, actually. He's going to snap right back out of it. Look at this here. He's considering wisdom. He's considering folly. And he's looking at his life, and he's like, I was a wise person, Look at all that I've done and I've accomplished through my wisdom. And as he starts thinking about that, then he's reminded of this. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them, the wise and the fool. And then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? That's why wisdom is not a great place to find meaning. And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For as of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in all the days to come, all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity, a striving after the wind. He's looking at all he's accomplished. He's realizing that he has quite the resume. He's looking at people who are not wise, who are not accomplished, who have wasted their lives, and he realizes, just like me, they will die too. And this is something that we know. And this is something that we spend time trying to fight doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, that you, this is something that humans fight. I find that line there where it says that what Solomon realizes, he realizes there's no enduring remembrance, that we, we fight this. Because here's what we all realize. There are moments that we experience all the time that we don't want to forget. But we know that if history showed us anything, we, we forget. So what do we do? We fill our phones full of pictures. I mean, how many pictures are on your phone? I got over 2,000, and his phone's only two years old. 
I've got a phone that's in there with probably another couple thousand. Why? Because I know that there are things that I'm experiencing that I don't want to forget, so I take more pictures than I'll ever be able to look at. And it makes me wonder, too, even just thinking about this, we realize, like, hey, we're going to forget. We've, we've forgotten things that people have to remind us of. And we're like, how did I forget about that? And it makes us do this thing where we're experiencing a great moment, but instead of experiencing we're working so hard on trying to capture it so we don't forget it, and we miss the moment. It's like the people who take pictures of fireworks. It's because we realize there's no remembrance, so we're like, I've got to fight this somehow. I'm just going to fill my phone full of pictures. But Solomon sees that. He realizes after all that he's accomplished, that people are still going to forget about him. And that's Solomon. <laughs> How much more for people who didn't accomplish the things he's accomplished? And as Solomon's looking at his life, he's realizing, gosh, I've done a lot. There's a lot of things that I've done to make this world better. There's a lot of things that I've done that have been useful. Let's just look at what he's mentioned so far in the book of Ecclesiastes. Look at this in Ecclesiastes 1.14. He says, I've seen everything that is done under the sun. He says in, in, in verse six, chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me. Chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I made great works. Just so we're clear, his great works would put any of ours to shame. That in his pursuit of, like, accomplishment, dude planted a forest. That it, it was so significant that even now in Israel, there are holes that are in the ground that are called the pools of Solomon. They're still here today. And they used those pools to water his forest. If you think your garden is impressive, just realize, dude planted a forest. Like, he, he made great works. And then again in due 10, he reminds himself that I surpassed all who were in Jerusalem before me. And I was wise. He's like, I was accomplished, and I was smart, and then here he comes, and he's like, but I'm going to die like people who aren't and are dumb. And there's nothing I can do. I came across this story, it's about Alexander the Great, and he's walking around one day, and he sees the philosopher Diogenes staring at a pile of bones in a field. Alexander de Grey goes up to, to Diogenes and he says, what are you doing looking at these bones? And Diogenes says, I'm searching for the bones of your father Philip, but I cannot seem to distinguish them from the bones of the slaves. That, that his father was Philip II of Macedon, who was a distinguished leader and great king in his own right. And as he dies, they're both, he's equal with everyone else. This is what Solomon is realizing. And as he realizes it, he says, I hated life. I look at all that I've accomplished. I'm not going to be remembered. What was the point? And it makes him hate everything. And isn't that a crazy verse to see in the scriptures? Someone saying, but let's, but let's just be honest, like we've been there. 
We've looked at things. Things haven't added up, and we were frustrated. That we can read what he's saying here and be like, yeah, that is ridiculous. And part of that, part of that is the, the John Logie Baird, Kim Kardashian, Chester A. Arthur thing. Like, Solomon was as great, if not greater, than all of them, and he's realizing because he's wise that he's going to be forgotten. So you've got this. He's processing this, and so then what he does is he's aware of his mortality. So then he starts looking and thinking about his work. He starts thinking about the things that he's accomplished And it actually just, it makes it worse. Look at this here in in verse 18. So he hated life, and then in verse 18 he says, I hated all my toil, which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also a vanity and a great evil. What is man from all the toil of the striving of his heart beneath, for which he toils beneath the sun. For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. For those of you who have work, you can relate, right? Now he's talking about work done under the sun. He's talking about work that's done for your name, He's talking about you and your efforts and things that can be seen. And what we'll see in just a few moments is that this, this frustration, that this angst, it shifts his heart to look beyond the sun. But as it stands, as he looks at his mortality, he realizes that he is going to pass, even though he's accomplished such great things, he realizes that there's a really good chance that he's going to leave it to someone who isn't going to do as well as he did. But he realizes that eventually when he hands over the things that he's worked so hard for, they probably won't care about it like he did. And if this is Solomon, and we think that it is, we know why Solomon felt that way, because we know who his son was. His son was a man named Rehoboam. And he could not have been more different than Solomon. Solomon was a guy who, who was wise. That his, his kingdom, his leadership over Israel is characterized, it starts off with him being wise. That the first thing that he does is he makes a wise decision and it sets the tone for his time as king. That he was such a wise leader that, that, that other kings from other countries would come and they would want to sit under Solomon and listen to what he had to say. That in the history of the nation of Israel, it has never been as prosperous as it was during the time of King Solomon. 
that they had peace, that they had success. So just to give you an idea of the works that he did, well, one, he planted a forest for them, but then he, he, built, he built a temple that took seven years to build, and then he built a palace that took 14 years to build wonders of the world. And then he dies, and his son Rehoboam takes over. And as Solomon's kingdom was characterized by wisdom, Rehoboam's was characterized by being a fool. The first thing that he does is that he has the option to take wise advice or the option to take foolish advice. And he takes foolish advice. And almost instantaneously, he shrinks all that Solomon had worked so hard to build by ten twelfths. And the nation of Israel was never the same again with the exception of a few great kings. This is why Solomon, looking at what is coming, says this in verse 18 and 19. He says, I hated my toil because he knew who he was going to give it to. Seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Now, this is talking about something that happened 3,000 years ago. But this is something that we see happen all the time today. There are people who spent the 80s and the 90s, the best parts of their working lives, making Blockbuster into an empire. You laugh, but it's true. There were several of them in Springfield. They were all over the place. That When you were to think of one of the most successful companies in America, Blockbuster would have been on that list. There are people who gave their lives for that. Today in 2020, there's one in Canada, and it's not even franchised. The only reason why people know about them is because they have a really funny Twitter account. That they worked so hard to build this thing. There are people probably who are alive who worked hard to build Blockbuster into what it was, and they're looking back, and they're, they're like, yep, they couldn't get ahead of the trends like we did. Now look at us. They had the option to buy Netflix. They didn't think it was worth it. That we see this. You see this in sports. You get a coach who spends decades building his team to be something incredible. Then he leaves. Hands it off to a number two. Number two isn't as good as the legend, is he? Next thing you know, you're a Nebraska fan, and it's been 20 years since you won a a conference title. And every coach that you hire, you look back and you say, man, if only that could be like, this this one's going to be like Coach Osborne. It never is. He worked so hard to build this thing. And now, because of a couple losing seasons, people have no idea what used to be. This happens in churches, too. In the late late 1800s, there was a man, you've probably seen his quotes if you have friends that are Christians on the internet. His name's Charles Spurgeon. He pastored one of the largest churches in the world. It was in London, England, late 1800s. About 10,000 people would gather to hear this guy preach. But he he was such a big deal that actually his his fame has gone long beyond his life. 10,000 people would show up to listen to him. A group of pastors wanted to visit his church in the 1970s, and they found them, they were shocked to find that because they didn't stay up with the times, there were about 100 people that were gathering in that church that Charles Spurgeon worked so hard to build, that this is something that you see. 
you pour your heart and soul into your toil. And you leave it to someone and you realize there's a really good chance that one or two generations will pass and it will not look like it did when you were there. But Solomon's looking at his work and in essence he's saying, I lost sleep over work that will be destroyed and forgotten after I'm gone. And to make a realization like that, there's only really one way to respond. It's by saying, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. So he gets to this point. He's frustrated. He's angst-filled. He's looking at life. He's saying things that we all know to be true. But this chapter two is different. It ends differently. Some of you, you look at life and you get frustrated and you don't know what to do with it. Well, chapter two shows us how you should respond to your angst. And here's the thing. If you can respond to your angst by looking beyond the sun, you could argue that God is using that angst to shift your gaze to look that way. Because certainly that's what happens here at the end of chapter two. Look at this. It's kind of the first real like sign of like this is why this is in the Bible. Verse 24. After he said everything that he said. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment, saying that the source of all joy is from the hand of God. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity, striving after the wind. Finally, the ray of hope, the gospel light. And it's, it's such a good picture of life. Because everything he said about work is true. It's all true. And it's like that classic novel, The Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, where he starts it off by saying it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. That if you look at life, if you look at work, if you look at all the things that you do, what are you going to find? You're going to find a lot of good and you're going to find a lot of bad. Work can be infuriating. It can be taxing physically. It can be taxing emotionally. You can feel like you are on a treadmill and you're never going to get off of it. There's something about that that's true of work. But there's also something about work that is incredibly rewarding. There's also something about work, for those of you who have figured this out, that when you're able to do something that you love, to look at it and say, wow, can't believe that I get to do this. Some of you, you work at a place where you're in the zone, and it just feels good. And what Solomon would say is he would say, this, this too is from the hand of God. Some of you may have a job that you hate, but you still do tasks that are difficult, and you look back on those tasks, and you think, 
I cannot believe I was able to accomplish this. Isn't that cool? But in order for us to get to this place, we've got to do what Solomon says, and it's shift our gaze beyond the sun. And here's what I can tell you, that it doesn't matter if you love your job or if you hate your job, that you can work in a way that looks beyond the sun. For those of you who are doing what you love, man, that is a gift. And every time you get to do a task that you love and you realize that you get paid for it, the immediate response in your heart needs to be worship. Because that is a gift from God that you can say, God, I cannot believe that you allow me to do this and to get paid. And here's the thing, when you respond that way, that you are shifting your focus beyond the sun. For those of you who get up every morning and you do something that you hate, I know who you are. Here's how you shift your gaze beyond the sun. Is that you work really hard. You don't complain about it. And you look for the good in where you are. And in doing that, what you're doing is you're, you're treating your work as worship. You're shifting your gaze beyond the sun. Also, with whatever you do, there's a chance that most of you don't work by yourselves. With every interaction that you have with a human being at your job, you have the opportunity to help someone know Jesus better. That what you do with the people that you come in contact with is you are showing them whether you like it or not because you're saying you're a Christian, you are showing them what God is like. And if you're painting a picture that is compelling, you are, you are shifting their gaze beyond the sun. And that will long outlast you. The question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? It's a discipline. It is a discipline to treat work in that way. And so as I close this morning, I just want to challenge you to think about this like as we go back to the characters that we've looked at from the very beginning. As we think about people like John Logie Baird, as we think about Kim Kardashian or Chester A. Arthur, these are people who are successful. But here's what I can tell you. Solomon can relate. Solomon was just like them in more ways than you probably want to realize. And as he sits and he looks at his life and he considers his toil beyond the sun, here's what he, here, here is his consideration. Is, I was wise. It was good. It, my wisdom was able to get me ahead. But even though it got me ahead, going to die like everyone else. But I'm going to die like the people who didn't discover wisdom. I mean, frustrated. Not only am I going to die like the people who didn't have wisdom, but here's the thing. There's a really good chance that I'm going to leave this to a fool and all the work that I'm do I've done will, will not last long after I'm gone. And everyone that that, that is why success cannot ever be your goal. That's why advancement is not a good goal. Because when it is, 
inevitably you're going to find yourself incredibly frustrated. But here's here's the beauty of looking beyond the sun. That when you look beyond the sun, you still get the advantage of wisdom. Not only do you get the advantage of wisdom, but you have a God in heaven who's saying, hey, I'd love to give it to you, you just got to ask. That you don't die like fools. That the end of this life is actually just the beginning of another one. And, 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 if, you're, and, and if, if, if it is all the things that we think that it is, then you're not going to care about what you leave behind. <laughs> because you're going to go somewhere that's way better. And you know what? In a hundred years, people might forget about you, but it, you're not going to care about that either. Because where you're going beyond the sun, there will be one person there who knows who you are. And when you're there, he'll actually be the only person that matters. And he won't forget you. And you can know that he won't forget you because he was willing to die for you. So the question you have to ask yourself is, okay, what are you going to do? What's your goal? What is life? I'm not saying you shouldn't try. I'm not saying you shouldn't care. Wisdom is clearly better than folly. But here's the thing. What, when you lay in bed at night and you think everything's going to be okay, what is the reason why you tell yourself everything's going to be okay? And if the answer is not Jesus, if the answer is not beyond the sun, then all you will find is vanity, is toil, is frustration. But to this question, Jesus offers you a better solution. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Thank you for watching our services. If you have questions or you would like more information, you can visit us online at nlspringfield.com. We'd also love to have you join us at one of our Sunday morning services. We have programs at 9.30 and 11 for adults, students, and kids. We hope to see you there.